Matthew chapter 22, 1 to 14. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I've prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted cattle have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field and another to his business. The rest seized his servants, ill-treated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked. How did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told his attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness. There there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are invited, but few are chosen. Okay, we've been working through this uh, series. We've called it Tales of the Kingdom. We've mentioned as we've been going along that Matthew who writes one of the accounts of Jesus. We know that there are four accounts of Jesus in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We know them as the Gospels. That's generally what they're called, the Gospel of Jesus according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Gospel is one of those words which has become, it's become a Bible word. It's become one of those words which everybody knows as a Bible word, but it wasn't a Bible word when it was first used. Uh, In Roman times, in the day of Jesus, gospel, the word gospel, good news, was used uh, on the arrival of Caesar uh, in taking over your country. So if you were were taken captive by Caesar, it was considered good news. Now, in lots of ways, it probably was, because uh, in in general terms, there was great uh, poverty, uh, and the, certainly we would say that the Roman system brought uh, a great deal of good, order, etc., into the country. Uh, many would dispute that as well, of course, and I suppose there would be debate. But certainly the, the message that the Roman authorities want to give is that it is good news for the king, Caesar, the ruler Caesar, uh, to be uh, arriving in your country. Now you can see straight away, I guess, Um, how provocative that was in one sense to use the word gospel. Gospel regarding Jesus, the coming of Jesus into your life, the coming of the King Jesus who reigns over and above Caesar is gospel. It's good news. Well, those different accounts all, they they vary very slightly. Uh, They come from different perspectives. They emphasize different stories and uh, many people, uh, you might hear people say, well, you know, the, the, the Bible, it's full of contradictions. And uh, this particular passage is one of the areas where you might find people criticizing the Bible, saying that the Bible is full of contradictions. The reason for that is because we have 
close to this same story in the Gospel of Luke. However, it's different in a number of areas. And the reason for that difference, people have suggested, is because the Bible is inconsistent. I, would, I just want to encourage you, just stop for a minute and consider this. Jesus was uh, a preacher, and one of the ways that he told, uh, gave, uh, portrayed his message, uh, passed on his message, was by telling stories. Wouldn't it be entirely reasonable that he might take a story, the foundation of a story, and modify that story ever so slightly uh, as he uh, addressed different audiences, different people. Same foundational story, but changed slightly. I think that just straight away gives an absolutely reasonable account straight away why we find a different account of this story in this gospel to the gospel of Luke. You know, it's that we, we, get, the, we get a big sort of uh, challenge which seems so plausible, it's inconsistent. Step back, actually, we're not even making a claim that it's the same moment. This, this account is, is, is in Jerusalem. The other one is in, uh, on the way to Jerusalem. The different people are being addressed in both of those situations. I think it's entirely reasonable that a storytelling preacher would modify his story according to the audience. I just want to mention that. I think it's helpful. It helps us deal with um, some of those uh, questions that very often we find. Is the Bible inconsistent? Well, straight away I would suggest an apparent inconsistency actually would suggest consistency. In actual fact, if you were trying to, uh, to tell a story which you wanted to be absolutely consistent, and these accounts are, are being distributed around the same time, if you were wanting to, to make sure that you got a story that was consistent that you were fabricating, uh, wouldn't it be right that therefore you would work and collude to try to make the story consistent? The very fact that it is inconsistent, I think, gives weight to the fact that, it, that it's a story being told at different times. What we have here is, is a king straight away. The kingdom of heaven is like a king. Uh, right at the moment, that <laughs> nothing could be more poignant, could it, than today. Uh, the news that has come out today, the news of the world sting. They're on to another sting at the moment, aren't they? Uh, you might not have picked up on it, but um, Fergie... Um, uh, uh, what's her name? Sarah. That's all. I only know her as Fergie. My mate Fergie, it sounded like there, didn't it? My mate Fergie is actually Sarah Ferguson, isn't it? And um, she was filmed by the News of the World uh, selling access to her ex-husband, Andrew, uh, for half a million pounds, I think it was. Uh, News of the World reported it today. Got the video, hit the headlines. Uh, lovely, lovely report on the breakfast table for a few people, I'm sure. It raises a question, doesn't it? Um, as soon as we start talking about the rule of God as being a king, uh, our idea of royalty, our idea of authority starts to play on our minds. What kind of king is God? Uh, and secondly, what kind of subjects uh, does he have? This story, I think, raises that question and also um, addresses one of the challenges that we have to kingship. Isn't it just very normal in our human makeup to try to want to find things wrong? The very fact 
uh, I think that the news of the world decided to decided on a sting operation is that because just because that kind of uh, sensational news, somebody big and famous getting into trouble, somebody uh, famous uh, going uh, overboard or you know behaving in an, Im- uh, in an improper way. It makes news. We want to hear about it. We want to knock people off their perch. And yet at the same time, we have a desperate desire for somebody there, somebody who we can look up to, who is worthy of being looked up to. Now, the very fact that we keep knocking them down is because we know that there is, there is an imperfection in those who rule over us. And yet, at the same time, we, we, we keep putting people up there, don't we? In every situation, we are continually, as people, putting, elevating people to a place of authority, to a place of recognition, or we could use the Bible word, to a place of worship. We we continually put people into a place of worship, and yet time and time again, they let us down. There is this ongoing battle of the human being that is, we want to worship somebody, there is somebody who is worthy of our worship, and yet they all fail us. And one of the problems that we have is that we know that one of the reasons that they fail us is because they're just like us. You know, we get things wrong, don't we? You get things wrong, I get things wrong. Uh, one of the reasons that we have uh, such, a, I guess, a, an adherence and allegiance to a situation like Sarah Ferguson is pr- precisely because somebody, if you like, up there who falls down feels a lot more like us then, don't they? You know? They feel a lot more like somebody who who does things wrong. We feel far more comfortable. Now that complex challenge, the desire to have somebody to rule, the desire to have somebody to worship, and at the same time, that kind of rebellious spirit deep down inside of us is at the very heart of this story. And Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven... In other words, according to Matthew, as the, his story evolves, as he, as he opens up the story of Jesus, he says, the kingship of Jesus, the authority of Jesus, the lordship of Jesus, my kingdom, he says, my kingdom of heaven, the kingdom outside of this world, it's like this. And then he tells the story. So we have two questions to ask. What kind of king... And what kind of people belong to the kingdom? Let's see how it unfolds. Well, this king straight away, we, we see that he invites people to, his, uh, to a banquet. Uh, he sent his servants out to a wedding banquet for his son. That's the first thing that we see in this story that Jesus tells, this parable that Jesus tells. It's a wedding banquet for his son. What's the, who's the priority? Straight away, who is the priority according to this? Um, it would seem as though the beneficiaries are obviously the guests, aren't they? The beneficiaries are the guests, but the priority is the son. That's one of the first things that we see in the story that Jesus tells that Jesus told us at this point. There are people who are going to benefit from it. 
people who are invited to come along. It's a great privilege to be invited to come along uh, to the king's son's wedding banquet. But of course, the king is making his son central. Now, straight away, there is a challenge and there is a problem for people, for you and me. That was, I guess, at the very heart uh, of the challenge that we see unfolding in the story. You come along, you're going to have a great time. It's going to be a real good thing for you to come along. You're going to receive just a great day. And we'll see in a few minutes, you're going to receive things that you can take away with you, that they're, they're a real blessing for you to be here. But it's not all about you. It's all about my son. He's the one who I am elevating, and you're invited to join in. Now that is a problem for us. Now if we take this just a little step further and start to unfold the story that Jesus is telling us, uh, we see that that is a problem for all of humanity. Jesus is saying, uh, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's like a king who wants to elevate his son. (laughs) It's just like God who wants to elevate his son. And we say, whoa, hang on a sec. I don't want to worship that son. I don't want the son to take priority. In fact, I I would say that we even go this far at times in in an attempt to try to convey the benefits of, of becoming a Christian. We're sometimes in danger of making being a Christian all about us. It's all about us being saved. It's all about us receiving something great. It's all about us uh, being saved from hell, uh, finding a place in heaven, not eternally dying, eternally living, and all of those things are true. But right at the center, first and foremost, it's not about us. It's about the Son about the Son of God, Jesus himself. Uh, And you can see how provoking this story is in Jesus's ministry, because he's, as he unfolds his revelation of of himself, he's actually saying, and by the way, I'm the Son. It's all about me. (laughs) Think about that from the point of view of the Christian faith. It's not about us, but hang on a sec, becoming a Christian is a wonderful, tremendous privilege where God says, I love you. I am for you. I want to redeem you. I want to save you so that you can be welcomed in to enjoy my son. It's a great privilege, isn't it, royalty? Uh, And many people... Uh, work so hard in just, a, in just a, a really kind of throw-up kind of way to try to get close to people of importance, people of royalty. You know, that kind of, you know, polishing up and, and getting alongside people and wheedling your way into, into the right society and all of that kind of thing that make you sick. Uh, and yet this king says, look, come on, I'm going to invite you. Come and be part of this great celebration. That's the invitation that the king 
makes. One of the traditions that the first hearers would have understood is that um, you would definitely have received two invitations to this wedding. This is the second invitation. In some of the writings that uh, the Jewish people had, that was one of the things laid down. Uh, And the story goes that one man invited people to a wedding and uh, only sent out one invitation. The one invitation um, went to somebody by the name of a friend, but it ended up with an enemy who had the same name, so the story goes. And the enemy turned up at the wedding. Mistaken identity. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, uh, our friends... Danny and Rebecca were caught out in, um, in a really nice place to get stuck uh, while, while the ash cloud kind of floated across and they were there for a week. And I sent Rebecca a text just to say, how are you getting on, all the rest of it. And uh, this person sent me the message back to say, um, I, I, I'm okay, who are you? <laughs> and I said, well, I'm Paul. And uh, you know, I heard last night from your mum, etc., etc., and uh, got a message back saying... Um, Who's, your mom? Who's my mum? Okay, this is not going well at this point. And uh, so I sent another text back saying who this person's mum was. And uh, I actually informed the person at the, end of the, uh, the other end of the text messages who they were. And the message came back, mm, that's not me. Sorry about that. Oh, yeah, kind of how embarrassing is mistaken identity. And uh, that's why you got two invitations. Make sure you get it right. The first invitation, as far as Jesus is concerned, is the invitation that was made by all of the prophets. And the second invitation comes in as Jesus makes this second invitation now. We've got this second invitation. And therefore, those who deliberately and determinedly decided to reject that second invitation, it's making it really clear they're rebelling against the king, aren't they? What they're saying is this. I devalue your invitation because I devalue your son because I devalue you. That's what's going on. Look at what happens as, they, as the servants take, take out those invitations. It's very clear that the king has spared no expense in, in a fairly arid land to fatten up cattle would have been a, a very precious, made one cattle, one cow, uh, one cattle, one cow or a number of cattle, a very precious commodity. That's why through the Bible you see this, uh, this kind of indication of the fatted calf, the one that was fattened up, being a really precious thing. This king has gone to, to, to spe- spared no expense in making this a fantastic banquet. This is just the best. And yet what we see is when they went and and passed on this second invitation, they went to a field, they went to businesses, they seized the servants, they ill-treated them, they killed them. You might immediately think, and particularly if you read the similar account in Luke, well, you know, maybe, maybe he did have a pressing engagement. Well, they'd have known exactly when the wedding was from the first invitation. 
Now there's a second one. What this is saying is they have decided, they have determined to rebel against the king. Now this particular story and the way Jesus tells this story would have had all sorts of really powerful connections. Because Jesus is saying here to the people who, who are listening to this story, this is you. Who are those people? They're the religious elite, the Pharisees, people in Jerusalem. The people who considered themselves to be very, very religious. And he's saying, why, why can we say that? Because, because of the way he describes it. You've ill-treated them and you've, you've killed the servants. That's a clear reference to, to references in the Old Testament where, where the prophets who came from God to invite God's people to worship God and to follow God were killed. He killed the prophets. So those who heard this, they'd have, they'd have read between the lines and they'd have said, Jesus is saying that we're not good enough for the kingdom of heaven. You see how, you see how offensive that is, the, the, the message that Jesus brings to them here. You who are religiously on the ball, you who are religiously sorted, you who are working really hard to be religiously acceptable before God, you are invited, but you've, you've shunned that, that invitation. We're going to come back to that because we said we want to see who's, who is in this kingdom of heaven. So there's the first group who aren't in the kingdom of heaven. Let's see how the story unfolds. Well, the king is enraged. He deals with it. This rebellion, he, we, again, we see clearly the rebellion that God uh, is portraying here. The way that a rebellion is dealt with by a king is to send in armies to destroy the murderers and burn their city. Now we see it unfold because the king says, he says if effectively the wedding banquet is going to carry on. Why? Because it's the wedding of my son. You see again the importance there. It's not saying, I've got to have guests for the guests' sake. He's saying, my son must have people to enjoy his banquet with him. So he sends his servants out again and he says, look, we invited those who were first inv invited, the people who re received the first invitation. We've gone and we've taken the second invitation. Now, just go out and invite people. Just go out. Go to the intersections of the roads. Uh, why? Because you get the most people there, don't you? The intersections of roads are where you get people because you get people traveling in both directions. Uh, you catch them both. In other words, the king is now making a determined decision to extend the invitation to as many people as he possibly can. That's, if you like, that's the, that's the, um, the code, if you like. That's the, the underlying message of why he sends them out to the junctions. He went out into the streets and gathered them. Uh, and now we see 
they could find what kind of people are gathered in. People who are gathered in are both good people and bad people. The wedding hall was filled with guests. In other words, that's another direct contrast, isn't it? The previous people, by implication, are the good people. Uh, What we have now gathered in is just all sorts of people gathered into this wedding feast. There is no discrimination. It's just everybody has been invited in to this wedding feast. Uh, And now we see an interesting little development in the story. We see that then the king came in to see the guests. And he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend... He asked him, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. And then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's kind of a worse nightmare. In fact, it's not just a nightmare. It's actually one of the funniest pieces of of, uh, sitcom humor, I think, ever. Uh, Only Fools and Horses, where the two guys, have you ever seen it, where they turn up uh, in in, uh, Robin Hood and Batman outfits, and everybody else is there in suits? It's just, just, well, well, it was funny when it was on anyway. (laughs) It was just brilliant. You know, they turn up in all the wrong gear. And you kind of, on face value, as we look at this, don't you feel sorry for this man? Don't you feel an, uh, an element of, well, what's the situation? Is the man um, poverty-stricken? Doesn't he have the money to buy the right clothes? You know, you, you know the story. It's a, you've been invited to a wedding or some special do. And you, you're kind of looking at, looking at the bank account and thinking, I've got to buy great gear to go to this, invita- this wedding, but it's a bit tight and you take the plunge or whatever it is. And you feel sorry for this man. We've got to stop and say, I can understand that. In our generation, in our day, as we read a story like that, and that's why it's really important that we understand what is actually happening here. What we find in the Bible again and again throughout, and I can dig out some references for you, uh, one of those would be uh, uh, the story of, uh, the story of um, Samson would be a good example. When you invited somebody to a wedding, the custom of the day was that you would also provide them with clothes. That's why it is a great thing to be invited to a wedding in that day. Clothes were a rare and valuable commodity. Most people, uh, if you like the commoner garden, average people in a very polarized society, you had everybody and the elite and not many people in between. The elite had all of the wealth. And, and pretty much everybody else was, were, were living as peasants. In that day, most people had literally just a couple of sets of clothes. So you would have one set of clothes that you were wearing, one set of clothes that was being washed. 
Uh, and then one, one, when one set of clothes finally wore out, you would make the huge investment in another set of clothes. Uh, one of the great things about being invited to a wedding from somebody who was rich is that the tradition would be, not, not in the peasant uh, class, but in the elite class, that, that the tradition would be that the rich person would provide a set of clothes for all of the guests. Now that puts into perspective even more, doesn't it, those people who beforehand rejected the invitation. They say, I'm not bothered, I don't want to come along to that. I reject that and happy not to receive the blessing from you. Now, now this story here, this little occurrence here, we find that everybody has been invited. They all turn up, but one person has made a decision not to accept the clothes of the king. I think that's what Jesus is saying here. There would be no reason. That's why he's speechless. You know, if he was able to say, I I just didn't get the clothes that your servants promised to send out. I'm really sorry. If you've got another set of clothes, I'll put them on straight away. But he's speechless. He can give no account. And so he is also rejected. And what do we see in all of the stories that Jesus tells about the kingdom of heaven? We see that there is finally some kind of separation. There are those who are in the kingdom of heaven and those who are are banned, who are put out from the kingdom of heaven. Those who are separated. We saw in a couple of stories uh, that we see this idea of being sent out into outer darkness is one. We see it here. He's thrown out into the darkness. We see that there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, anger and frustration. Uh, And we also see this kind of perpetual fire. All of the stories, all of the illustrations that would really have have hit the mark for people who were uh, uh, contemporaries of Jesus. Darkness, no street lights, only limited places were were, uh, lit dark places were unsafe. Uh, We would see sadness and weeping. We would see perpetual fire just outside of Jerusalem, where in fact just outside of every city where all the rubbish was burned. All of those pictures that say that separation being out of the kingdom of heaven is finally considered as God's valid decision for those who have rejected me. I think it's really important. Both of these people who were put out of the kingdom of heaven have first rejected the king. The first lot rejected, the religious elite rejected by saying, we don't need you. But this one rejected by saying, I don't want to be clothed in the way that you want me to be clothed. I want to rebel against you. (laughs) Clothing has always, hasn't it, been been a kind of um, a source or a focus of rebellion. Right down the ages, um, I'm uh, speaking to a congregation who many of you are younger than me, 
pull your pants up, guys. <laughs> Just as an example, how much rebellion is there? I want them lower. Now I want them higher. You know, that's a kind of a contemporary rebellion. Um, the clothing has always been a rebellious thing. There's this man rebelling. He's saying, I don't want it. I don't want to be your way. You know, one of the things that, the, that Jesus wants to say, and I think we can see it most powerfully in this story. Jesus, puts, Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven separates those who have rebelled against God and those who have embraced God in Jesus. It's very easy for us to see these stories and think that what God is finally doing is kind of shoving people out who wanted to be in there. This particular story, we could easily get it wrong. He wanted to be there in the, in the wedding feast. Ah, no. <laughs> ah, yeah, he wanted to be there, but he wanted to be there on his terms. He wanted to be there uh, rebelling still. Ultimately, I think what Jesus is saying is this. It's not all about you. It's all about me. And you can rebel against me in a couple of ways. You can rebel against me by not accepting that I bridge the gulf between you and a father in heaven. That's ultimate rebellion. I, I, I am the bridge. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. You can rebel against that in one of two ways. You can rebel by saying, as the first group said, no, I am good enough. I am good enough. I am religiously acceptable uh, to be allowed into the kingdom of heaven by being good. I want to warn you. But it is very easy, it's easy for us in 21st century Britain to look back at 1st century Pharisees and say, yeah, that's the Pharisees, those ultra-religious people who did all the good things and got it so wrong. And yet it is so easy for us as people who claim to follow Jesus, as people who claim to be believers in Jesus, to end up in exactly the same situation uh, resting, relying on the good things that we do and not accepting the bridge that Jesus has built between uh, an angry God and us as rebels. So we can do it religiously. The other way that we can do it is by just being, as we see here, not religiously uh, righteous, but running away from God and rebelling in whatever way we can. We just rebel. We're rebels. Uh, and so we see that the servants gather in the rebels, but one carries on wanting to rebel, doesn't he? He says, I'm not going to accept what you've given me. I'm going to carry on rebelling. And that's exactly what we can carry on doing. You might be here. You might be giving the impression this afternoon. We're all, we all need to consider this. We might be in that situation of saying, you know, I, I, I'm quite happy to come along and gain the benefits, but deep down inside, I'm going to carry on rebelling. I'm going to be a rebel. I'm not going to truly be clothed in what Christ gives to me. So how do we, how do we understand who is finally in the kingdom? I think it's really simple, and it, it's something which we've got to hold on to. 
It's not the religiously right. Oh, I tell you now, we've been working through James on a Sunday morning and it makes it so clear that when we come to love Jesus, we want to change. But it's not that change that makes us acceptable to God. It just isn't. It's Jesus who makes us acceptable to God. It, it, it's that, I can't do the right things, but I know that he has. I know that he lived a life which was more righteous than anybody has ever lived. So it is pointless. It's just pointless. Me trying to be as good as him to be acceptable. That's why he stands in the way and says, I am righteous. Therefore, come to God through me. But secondly, we see that we can't come wanting God for what we can get out of it. Here we see somebody who wanted, he wanted the feast. He wanted the blessing. He wanted to be there for all of the privilege. But he never loved the king, did he? He never really valued the invitation. He never really loved the son. He didn't want to be there because he wanted to enjoy the celebration for the son. He wanted to be there because he wanted to receive all of the good things that a feast brings. Finally, his heart was exposed. It's all about me and not about the son. Now, now that, those two kind of contrasts, I'll get there by being good or I'll, get there, or I'll get there for what I can get out of it. Are the two extremes, really, of failure for entry into the kingdom of heaven. The final success for entry into the kingdom of heaven is really quite simple. And this story highlights it. It shows us. It's realizing finally that I want to be there for the king's son. I want to be there as I see, that, to carry on the story that Jesus tells, I want to see the bride and the bridegroom. I, I want to enjoy that event. I want to look up at that and find that I've got a king who is kind, who is good, who is perfect, who isn't like any other ruler in this, in this world. He's not on the take. Not on the make. In fact, completely the opposite. He gives and he gives and he gives and he invites me to enjoy in his giving, but so that I can enjoy him first. You know, come and enjoy the king. Come and enjoy the son. And as you come into the king's presence and as you come into the son's presence, all of the other things become a a, a power and a blessing that just pours over you. It's a benefit of being there. You know, one of the things that Jesus wants to say is this. Do not believe, do not accept that being part of my kingdom is all about what you can get out of it. It's all about me, but by the way, I will never, never, never even get close to leaving you shortchanged. I'll never take from you for my glory. In fact, I'll give to you for my glory. It will be perfect. It will be wonderful. It will be the most amazing thing. 
that's a hope that we all have. If we trust in Jesus today, we are looking forward to a moment where this comes true. In Revelation, we see that Jesus is described as the bridegroom and the church is described as the bride. And that perfect banquet is something that we will find the privilege and enjoyment in. But it's because we're looking at the Son and finding Him of worth.